The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. I have two guests this, this uh, week, uh, Kevin Kimball, uh, Kevin Kimball, who is the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America, and one of the divisions of Cash America is called Enova. Uh, we have the head of consumer lending for Net Credit, which is one of their divisions, Stephanie Klein. Welcome to the show, Kevin and Stephanie. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you for having us. Thanks Great so to be much. with you both. Excited to be here. Let's just start with an overall view of the market that Cash America and Innova deals with, which is, I guess you'd call the underbanked or the unbanked. Um, maybe, Kevin, you can start here. Kind of give us a sense of the size of the market, and is it growing or shrinking? What, what is happening with this market of people who are either not able to deal with banks or dealing with banks uh, kind of in a marginal way? Yeah, well, the, um, thank you, Jordan. The, quite honestly, it's a fairly big market, and it continues to grow, uh, depending on uh, which surveys you look at. Uh, somewhere between 60 and 100 million people kind of fall into the space, uh, and about 3 million more join it every year. Um, here at Innova and Cash America, we actually do a lot of research, and from our own uh, numbers, we find that about half of the country can't find $2,000 in 30 days, um, uh, which will lead us to call them underbanked. And we found that 25% of Americans don't have $100 in the bank, and 50% of Americans don't have $800 in the bank. So we consider all of those uh, sort of credit-challenged and, and underbanked uh, population. And why is this growing? Uh, a couple of reasons, we think. First, uh, with the credit crisis and the economic crisis, the amount of credit available to people with credit scores below 680 kind of ballooned. So people who used to have credit cards, um, you know, with a 620, 630, 640 credit score, no longer have those. And then, you know, people had you know, foreclosures, they had, you know, short sales and loss of income. And those things all drove down their credit uh, worthiness and the availability of credit to them. So from your point of view, Stephanie, what is your sense of the market opportunity for the, I guess you call them the underserved uh, market in the banking area? So, I mean, yeah, as, as Kevin said, there's just a huge amount of people. And I think when people hear underbanked, they think, well, that's got to be a really small percent of the market. But, you know, it's not. Again, with 50% of people saying they can't come up with $2,000 in 30 days, there's a huge market that just needs access to innovative products, uh, trustworthy credit, affordable credit, and that's really what we try to do at Cash America and Innova. So if it's hard for people to get credit, how are they getting credit now? I mean, how are these people surviving if they have a very small amount in their bank account? Uh, how are they making their, their bill payments if they just aren't don't have access to credit? Well, it, it varies, uh, Jordan. So... When you're a non-bank lender, as we are, so if you can't access a bank for your credit needs, you're sort of at the mercy of whatever laws your state has put in place. So in many states, um, you know, you have a choice of maybe getting a payday loan or a pawn loan, 
Um, if you live in a select few states that have what we call installment lending, uh, there, are, there are about 15 states where there's a, a vibrant installment uh, uh, industry. Uh, otherwise, you know, people go online and, and try to find offshore or, or they make do. It's, uh, it's very um, complicated. It's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of research if you aren't able to go to the bank to get your, your, your needs met. And a lot of needs go unmet, quite frankly, in this country right now. What do you mean by installment debt? Is that uh, paying uh, based on overtime, based on buying a product? Or what, what do you mean by installment debt? So an installment loan would be sort of a modified credit credit card. Um, you know, as a non-bank, we can't offer a Visa or a MasterCard because you have to be a national bank to do that. But we can make longer-term loans available to people. In fact, one of the products Stephanie has is a longer-term loan where someone can borrow um, you know, $2,000 and pay it off over 24 or 36 months. Uh, and that's what we mean by installment loans. So it's not a loan that's due immediately. It's one that, you know, six to 24 months or 36 months. Now, these are not secured loans. This is basically, there's no collateral of any kind. This is still an unsecured loan. Is that correct, Stephanie? Yeah, definitely the majority of our business is completely unsecured loans. And so, you know, when, when Keevan talks about these installment loans, um, the example that most people think of when they think installment loan might be a mortgage or a car loan. You know, all of those are types of installment loans. And what we offer is an unsecured installment loan. Okay, so most, why is it that most bankers would, would stay away from uh, these kind of loans? I mean, if, if you're willing to make these loans and can make money out of it, why wouldn't banks be willing to do it? Well, the banks have, um, because banks take deposits, they are under the, the regulation of the, the OCC, the Office of Comptroller Currency. And their risk requirements are a lot stricter because they are using basically government-secured money. So anytime they lose money, the taxpayer is on the hook to pay it back. So their regulators tend to crank down or be very stringent on the types of risk they can take. Uh, when we are at Cash American Innova, we're able to uh, have a little bit different risk profile, maybe a little more aggressive risk profile, still being very secure and sound. I mean, you know, Cash America is very good at, at making these loans, uh, and Stephanie, these guys do a very good job of, of providing the credit uh, to the benefit of the company, but they're able to take on more risk and be a little more creative than, say, a bank that you know can only take on so much risk based on uh, what the regulators require. So, Stephanie, how is it that you can take on risk that, uh, as Kevin was saying, the banks cannot take, the, the government thinks it's too uh, uh, aggressive or too risky to lend to these people? How is it that you can lend to them when the banks, who are very sophisticated financial institutions, cannot lend to them? You know, I think something that's interesting is that the banks are definitely sophisticated, but they're very used to serving a prime customer. And I think, you know, a few years ago, when uh, the market was kind of in upheaval, the banks lost a lot of money on some of their subprime lending, you know, not only unsecured lending, um, Kevin talked about, you know, obviously the housing market as well. And so I think the banks, although they're sophisticated, they just don't really understand our customer. And so, you know, at Innova in particular, we've been serving this underbanked or subprime customer with unsecured loans since 2004. And we really look at different data than the banks. So a really concrete example is the banks tend to be very focused on, you know, your FICO score, your credit score. Um, what we find for these underbank consumers is that we have to just look at a lot of different data sources and not just one number to make our decisions. And so the analytics are just a little bit different, and that's really, I think, what drives us being able to 
to fund these customers. But also, like Keevan said, the regulatory. I think the banks could figure out how to do it, but the regulatory environment tells them you can't take that risk that's required to learn because you're, you're putting the deposits at risk. So it takes, you know, years and um, hundreds of thousands or millions of customers of funding to kind of learn the analytics that are needed for a different consumer. And that's the so, investment that we've put in. So you say that uh, you're typically not looking at credit scores. What kind of credit scores do the people you lend to tend to have? The credit scores, you know, there's really a broad range. And so, um, you know, as Kevin said, I think people in that, you know, 650 and under range are really the consumers that are going to struggle to find credit from uh, their bank or their credit union. And so we really see anywhere from, I would say, like a 500 up to a 650 range, um, you know, people that are going online and looking for uh, products from a lender like Enova. Now, uh, people in the, in the past talked about subprime lending. That was mostly in the mortgage area, uh, giving mortgages to people who, in many cases, defaulted or really couldn't afford them. Uh, why is this not creating a similar bubble um, in, in unsecured lending, uh, where people said you shouldn't have made those, uh, banks should not have made those subprime mortgages loans in the first place? Why is this not exactly the same thing all over again? Well, I think, uh, Jordan, the Two things. One, the loans are a lot smaller than mortgage loans. Um, so we're talking about, you know, maximum $5,000 by and large. And you're also talking about a lot shorter duration of, of repayment, you know, 36 months versus 30 years. Uh, and you'll find that I think people have learned a lot of lessons. Enova um, has a very good database, about what, four, I don't know, four terabytes, definitely worth of data on customers from several years' worth of lending, and so they've gotten it down to a pretty good science. I mean, I think that you'll find that you know, with technology being what it is today and, and the very sophisticated people who've moved into finance, they're able to, to underwrite these loans, especially, again, get the short duration of time and the relatively small amount of money being lent. lent. And I think, I think, you know, just to add on to that, the key thing um, is that Enova has really shown strong growth over the past several years. So when a lot of other lenders have been struggling and realizing that they wrote some bad loans, we've really been continuing to grow. And I think that's a testament to our underwriting model, the fact that we've always looked at affordability, you know, not just a credit score, but also income and affordability as a, as a key input into our model. And so we really haven't, you know, seen um, the huge losses that other lenders have seen in recent years. So, Stephanie, talk a little bit more about what goes into all these algorithms and these complex uh, calculations in deciding whether somebody should get one of these unsecured loans or not. Uh, what uh, Credit score doesn't seem to be that important. What are the factors that could, do go into it to decide if somebody gets a loan or not? Well, I don't want to give you too much of the you know secret sauce, but I can definitely talk a little bit to that. So there's actually a lot of data out there, and the data doesn't only have to come from one of the big three credit bureaus. So, you know, typically the banks are dealing with an Experian or Equifax or TransUnion. Um, there's really a lot of alternative data, you know, companies, and you could even call them bureaus in a sense, that gather all sorts of data. And that data may be related to someone's bank account. Um, how long have they had that bank account open or what types of NSF fees have they had in that bank account? It may be data related to some of these alternative, you know, lending products like payday loans that customers are using, but those big bureaus aren't seen. And then we also collect a lot of data, you know, through just the application itself, and we can 
kind of extrapolate between all of these different data sources, who we want to lend to, and which customers are too high of a risk. What is in general the acceptance rate uh, for people who are applying? How many people are getting loans versus being rejected for loans from you? It really varies by product. So, um, you know, because we have a couple of different brands in the U.S., and then we're also global, actually, and we've got businesses um, in a few other countries as well, I mean, the acceptance rate really varies. So it varies by product, and it also varies over time. And the reason I say that is because we are constantly um, refitting our models is what we call it. So, you know, on an annual basis, we'll probably release one to two completely new and upgraded models a year, but every month or two, we're actually going in and kind of refitting and saying, okay, should we be funding, you know, more people or should we be tightening up a little bit? So it's kind of a, a moving target. But even so, just give me a rough range. I mean, are you approving 90% of the people or 10% no, of the people? No, 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 definitely rough. not. A rough range would be more in the 20 to 40%. And it's interesting you threw out 90 because we hear that a lot where people think, you're lending online, you know, do you just approve anybody who applies? And, and that's not the case. We obviously uh, want to provide access to credit for as many consumers as we can, but there is still, you know, a hurdle. And although it's not just a credit score, there is still kind of a hurdle that a customer has to overcome in order to qualify. And, you know, there is, uh, there's obviously some strict eligibility rules to make sure that we are writing loans that are affordable and that will be paid back. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guests today are Kevin Kimball, uh, who's the Vice President of Federal Affairs for Cash America, uh, and one of the subsidiaries of Cash America is called Innova, uh, and also on the show is Stephanie Klein, who's the Head of Consumer Lending for Net Credit, which is a division of Innova. We'll be back after this. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Are you and your family in debt? Today, over 40% of American households are spending more than they make. And that means our society is getting deeper and deeper in debt. Escape the Debt Trap with host and attorney Kenneth Neely is here to help you avoid the problems involved with debt, including rebuilding credit, filing bankruptcy, short-selling your home, resolving IRS tax problems, and much more. Escape the Debt Trap airs live every Thursday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CIO Talk Radio, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experiences with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive. This means better care for customers and improves the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, 
Listen to CIO Talk Radio with Sun Joke All every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel, the bottom line in business talk. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Kevin Kimball, who's the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America. Uh, and a division of Cash America is called Enova. Uh, the head of consumer lending for net credit part of Innova is Stephanie Klein, who's also on the show. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you. Thanks so much. So, Stephanie, kind of take us through the process of somebody who's pretty much uh, not able to get a credit card, they're not able to get mortgages, their credit score is kind of low, but they've got income and they've got uh, a banking uh, relationship of some kind. How would they go through uh, getting a loan through you, and, and what is the advantage of doing that over tr- trying to do it in a traditional way? Sure. I mean, so typically what's going to happen is, you know, potentially someone's going to try their bank or their credit union first, right, because they've already got that relationship for their checking account, um, you know, maybe a savings account as well, um, although, again, we kind of find that our consumer doesn't have sufficient savings for the, the need that they have. And so these people are basically just going to go online, right? They're going to start Googling it like anything else. You know, where can I find a loan, a cash advance, a personal loan, um, whatever kind of word it is that sort of in their mind for what they're looking for. And through that process, they could find a lender like Enova. Now, we also do, you know, TV campaigns and other awareness campaigns to kind of build our brand so that maybe a consumer comes straight to us. But if they haven't seen that, they're going to search online and they're going to find, you know, one of our consumer-facing brands. So NetCredit is, you know, the brand that I focus on. So let's say a customer, you know, searches and they find netcredit.com. Um, it's actually a really simple online process, especially for someone who's kind of more used to the bank process, right, where you're going in person to a branch, you're bringing a lot of paperwork, you get there and they probably tell you, oh, well, you don't have the right paperwork, you know, you brought two bank statements and we need three bank statements or whatever it is. You know, our process is, is much more simple. So they're going to fill out a really short online application. Um, the first page is just going to be really basic information. Uh, what's your name? You know, where do you live? What's your source of income? Are you employed? Are you self-employed? Are you on benefits? Um, just all that basic information. And then if the customer continues on, they're going to fill out a little bit more detail. Um, you know, what's their, you know, income per paycheck? Um, and then the other thing we'll collect is the social security number. As I said, uh, although we don't use only a prime credit score, we do pull a lot of data to make our underwriting decision. So after we have that information, we're able to make typically a real-time decision. What that means is that we've actually built a technology platform. Um, it's actually proprietary, so all of our internal developers have built all this technology, and we can pull all of these reports within seconds and run a bunch of algorithms on this customer to make a, a decision. You know, are you eligible or are you not eligible? And so assuming the customer is eligible, within a few seconds they're going to see what amount they're approved for as well as kind of the, you know, terms of that loan agreement and that customer is now able to decide if they're interested and they want to go ahead and, you know, sign the loan agreement 
or if they're not interested, you know, they may go back to Google and kind of keep searching for what they're looking for. And so what kind of interest rates might they be charged based on how this comes back? It's not based on their credit score, but I assume the interest rate they'd be charged is dependent on what level of risk is assumed. Sure. So, yeah, we, we kind of develop our own proprietary scoring system, and so the the rates definitely vary. One thing that's interesting, um, you know, for our CashNet USA business, which is kind of our, our largest business operating in 32 states, it's actually the, um, you know, the largest licensed online lender in the U.S., um, they really don't charge an, an interest rate. It's more fee-based. And so what I mean by that is that the fee may be anywhere from 10 or $15 up to $25 per hundred. So if you borrow 100 bucks you're going to owe back, you know, 10 to 15 or up to $25. And that kind of depends on risk, but it also depends on um, the state because all of this is, you know, state regulated. So is that 10 or $25 considered interest or what is it considered? It's considered a fee really, but because of the federal regulations for TILA, it will also be shown as um, an annual percentage rate, just like if you were applying for a mortgage or something like that. Um, it has to be shown that way. But, you know, the one thing that's kind of interesting is for these shorter-term loans, now some of our loans, as Kevin said, bigger loans may start to go up to two or three years. We also do these shorter-term loans that are maybe one to two months. So the interest rate, you know, expressed annually is a little odd when you're borrowing for one or two months, and that's why the fee is what makes sense to more people. You know, if you, you give us $100, you're going to owe from 110 to 125. People kind of get that, and they can compare that across lenders and decide, um, you know, if this is the right product to fit their need. So, what does that? If you have to express this in APR, what, what does the annual percentage rate come out to be? It depends to some extent on how long the loan is for. Is that right? Yeah, it's going to really vary because you know, annual percentage rate. What you're basically looking at is how much are they paying and how many days. So, someone who's borrowing very short term, you know, maybe one to two weeks versus someone who's borrowing for, uh, you know, one to two months, it's going to be a different rate. So it's, it's very much, I guess I would say, individual to that particular loan and that particular customer. And, you know, once they get through that real-time application process that I talked about, the customer is going to see, you know, everything kind of clear and simple language, transparent, and, um, you know, the TILA APR, that APR number is going to be big and bold and, you know, outlined in a in a box so that it's very clear to the customer what that is. But it does range quite a bit. Now, some politicians would probably say uh, that this is breaking usury laws and these, uh, the interest rate is going to be in the several hundred percent if you're charging $25 on, on $100 over a pretty short period of time. But why would that not, in your mind, be considered predatory? Well, well I think, you know, really... I'll, I'll jump in there for oh, one second. Yeah, I'll jump in there for one second. That you know, APR um, is is misleading in this in this way because, quite frankly, our because we charge fees. Like when a bank charges you a fee, it doesn't count as part of the APR. So when you talk usury, um, you know, most of these laws, most of most of these statutes that we operate under were never meant for these state these. Uh, these fees to be counted as interest rates, so it's kind of hard for us to, to to justify it. But you know, everywhere we operate, you know, the state has passed the statute, right? So when we charge fifteen dollars per hundred, that's what the law requires us to charge. 
so it's not giving us the chance. Uh, so we don't get any complaints from lawmakers because that's the, the that's what they put into the statute. So, but are they actually setting the interest rate? They're saying that's the maximum you can charge. Or you have to charge fifteen yeah, per hundred. There's no maximum. That is that is the that is the rate you charge. So each state has a different amount that they charge. Allow yes. the fee to be. Yes, that's correct. Uh huh. So I mean, from the consumer's point of view, they're getting access to money they wouldn't be able to get otherwise. But it is expensive money, right? If this is not cheap money from their point of view. Yeah, it, it's um, it's more. I guess it's more expensive than what people think they pay on other things. But if I was being honest, if I take a mortgage as an example, and I don't want to get too far into the details or the weeds, but if I take a mortgage where I've got like a five percent APR mortgage, over the course of thirty years, I'm going to pay three times what I borrow. So I'm paying three hundred percent interest, even though I'm paying. 5% a year on it. So if you start trying to take these conversations into that you know that level, it's very hard to compare apples to apples about what people actually pay for their credit. It's a very complicated formula in how people um, get charged interest. So Stephanie, once people um, they, they say that they agreed to loan on, online, is the money then transferred electronically to their checking account and and how does the repayment how does it actually work once they've been approved and they agree to the loan? Sure. So once a customer, you know, is is eligible and kind of passes through final approval, and again, it's it's typically instantaneous. In some cases, there is some documentation required just to sort of verify the information on the application. Um, you know, make sure that everything that they're telling us is accurate and kind of co- uh, corresponds to what we're seeing from the reports that we're that we're pulling. The amount's going to be deposited into the bank account. So in the U.S., um, it's typically deposited the next business day. And in some cases, it can actually be deposited on the same day. And so within, you know, same day or one business day, that customer is going to have money in their bank account. And the thing that I guess is really important about kind of the speed of funding is if you think about a credit card as an example, like I actually um, called up my credit card company the other day to see if I could get a, an increase in my approval. Um, I was actually, I was it, was, it was a retail credit card, so I was getting, you know, a TV or whatever it was, and my limit was lower than that. And so I called them up, and they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to have to take some time. We're going to have to get back to you. And it can easily take days or even a couple weeks for sometimes, you know, the banks to make a decision about can we give you the credit you're looking for. And so that's why in our, you know, business and when these customers, especially if it's an emergency need, their car breaks down, let's say, they need that car to get to work, you know, tomorrow, not in two weeks, having those funds the same day or the next day is, is critical. If people get turned down, how do they appeal? You mean appeal the underwriting decision? Right. They've they've applied for the loan and they, for whatever reason, are not approved. Can they appeal that decision? Um, Not necessarily. I mean, if the customer thinks that there's a problem with the data we pulled, um, similar to like from a normal credit bureau, right, if, if you think there's something in your credit report that's not accurate, then that's sort of what you need to address. And so if we're not able to approve somebody, they're going to get an email that kind of explains our decision. And this is actually all um, federally regulated. It's a NOAA notice of adverse action. And so that email is going to say, okay, we looked at all these different factors and we're not able to approve you for this reason. If you think something is wrong, you know, they can contact us, but more likely they may want to contact one of the data sources where we pull data to see, you know, if they think, okay, well, that, that data source says I defaulted on a credit card, but I didn't, they would need to go to that data source and correct that data, and then they'd be able to reapply, and we would evaluate their application again at that time. 
And so, so that happens occasionally that the data was wrong and then they get the loan on the second time around? It's not typical because, I mean, these bureaus, you know, even if they're not one of the big three, um, these guys wouldn't be in business if their data wasn't accurate, right? Because lenders wouldn't use their data to make decisions if it wasn't accurate. So I wouldn't say it's something that happens often, but that would be the recourse that a customer could take if they think that they were declined for a reason that wasn't valid. But it's definitely not going to be a common occurrence. You say they're going to deposit the money into somebody's bank account. What if somebody does not have a bank account? They are the unbanked, not the underbanked. Is it possible to work with you, or you just can't work with people who have no bank accounts at all? At Innova, we don't currently serve people who don't have a bank account. It's definitely something that we're always thinking about. You know, our mission is to provide trustworthy credit and provide, you know, access to as many consumers as we can. So um, there are people that have, for example, prepaid cards and, you know, kind of other ways. You know, there's people that get their paycheck and they go to a check casher and they cash it. Um, so right now we don't work with those consumers, but we're always trying to figure out how can we innovate and, you know, are there additional people that we can help. Kevin, how big a problem is that, the unbanked? I mean, there, there must be millions of people who have no bank accounts whatsoever, and therefore it's you can't really serve them. From, what we, from the data we've seen around, it's, you know, maybe as many as 40 to 60 million people who are unbanked. Um, it's hard to get exact numbers, but uh, it, it's, it's in the tens of millions of people who are, who are actually unbanked, and uh, that's why you see the prevalence of prepaid cards um, uh, uh, come to the fore, because they're definitely, uh, without having some way to access the system, you're really left, really left out of the economic system of the country, because you, know, you can't borrow, you, know, you can't rent a car, you can't you know, rent a hotel room, you can't do anything if you don't have some sort of uh, logoed card to, to, to put down. So um, not having a checking account uh, puts you at a serious disadvantage. Uh, and so that's just another market you're going to be dealing with, particularly the unbanked. At, at some point, you know, Stephanie and, and, the, and the very smart people here at Inova figure out a way to, to work with that customer, I think, uh, which I assume they will over time, then uh, that will be the next marketplace because you know, we've got to finish, you know, we've, Got to finish being able to serve the whole country with that are banked but who can't use the banks for their 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 credit needs, and then move to that next level. But I mean, we've still got a long way to go to just being able to serve, you know, the the 100 million Americans who who have a bank account but still can't be able to to get two thousand dollars. I mean, that's a you know that that's a pretty big number too. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. My guests this hour are Kevin Kimball, uh, who's the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America. And Stephanie Klein, who's head of consumer lending for NetCredit, uh, which is a division of Innova, which is also part of Cash America. We'll be back after this. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Today's business marketplace is becoming increasingly global thanks to technologies that didn't even exist a few short years ago. Your business might be a startup or you might be one of the global 500. Either way, you're probably looking at customers and competitors in faraway regions. Listen for Global Reach with host Tay Revez as she brings together experts, ideas, and listeners to help you anywhere in the world. Global Reach is broadcast every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. 
Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests today are Kevin Kimball, who is the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America, and Stephanie Klein, who is Head of Consumer Lending at Net Credit which is a division of ANOVA, which is part of Cash America. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you, Jordan. I want to take a little bit more of a look at the kind of legislative um, landscape right now, and then you apparently have a proposal on how to make things better. Uh, Stephanie, you were saying a little bit it's kind of a patchwork. Each state has a different rules about this. And, Kevin, the same thing. What is the, the problem right now with the way this whole field of kind of serving the underbanked uh, is being legislated, and, and what is your solution for making it better? Well, currently, each state has its own set of, of uh, financial services laws for non-bank entities. So for Stephanie uh, to be able to provide a product, she has to go to a state and find one that has an enabling statute to let her offer the product she wants to offer and then bring it to market. Uh, and for each product she currently can develop, she has to find the same. she has to do the same thing. Uh, so if Enova has, you know, five products they think they can serve customers with, they'd have to get five different statutes passed into in every state to do that, which would be with 250 new statutes. Uh, we find that there's a, a very uneven patchwork. Uh, in California, for instance, where we operate, you know, you can make a petty loan for $250 to a customer, or you can make them a $2,500 installment loan. Um, but if they need to borrow $1,000, you can't give them a $1,000 loan under the, the, the California statute. So instead, that person either has to go and borrow five payday loans to reach $1,000, or they have to go and get, or and, and they have to go and get an installment loan for more than they need, and then try to figure out a way to pay it back. Um, if you live in New Jersey, for example, uh, there are no statutes that allow you to make uh, installment loans. So you'd have to go on the Internet and hopefully find a, a, a lender who is operating sort of outside of that structure and make a loan, which we've got a lot of anecdotal evidence that that happens a lot, that people uh, do extra legal uh, activities to try to make their meet their lending needs. Um, we find that you know because of that, also the price of credit is higher because you don't get the the, the benefit of, of the larger number of, of customers and the balance off your risk. So uh, that lack of symmetry costs customers more in the places where we do operate. Uh, and so we're working very hard with Congress to try to provide what we call a non-depository bank charter, uh, basically which would allow the OCC to use their special use chartering authority to provide charters for those who want to serve the underbanked. And this would be nationwide because right now there are certain states – you can't operate in at all, is that right? About 15, yes, correct. 
Yeah. yeah that's what so this would, would kind of supersede state law and make it into one federal system? Is that what you're proposing? Yeah, basically, it would, it would uh, let us join the banking system. So we're not creating something new as much as we're just joining, creating a, a, an ex- exemption or creating guidance over power that the OCC already has to let us then join the banking system. So right now, there are customers who depository institutions can't serve. We just want to be able to serve those customers using the same system, but without taking deposits. So we eliminate the risk to the system. So the the specific uh, uh, law you have in mind is called the Consumer Credit Access Innovation and Modernization Act. Uh, What would that actually do in, in creating this national system you're talking about? Well, it would, it would allow the OCC to grant charters to institutions who meet their criteria to become a national, a national uh, OCC charter institution. It, it, it would allow these companies to provide, develop credit products to meet the needs of the underserved. And I think some of the limits in there, like you could make consumer loans up to $5,000, small business loans up to $25,000 because there's a huge lack of small business credit at that lower level. Uh, and... Um, operate much like you know American Express or any other uh, credit card company operates, which is across or any other national bank across state lines. Uh, if you, I don't want to get too much into history, but if you go back to the creation of the National Bank Act, the reason the OCC and the National Bank Act were created was because in, 18, in the 1860s there was no symmetry in the financial services marketplace. So you know, Alabama had one set of laws and and one banking system. You know, uh, New York had another, and the the flow of money was uneven, so they created a national banking system to do this, and we're just trying to make it more egalitarian so that people who, who don't have pristine credit can still get access to the products they need in much the same way everyone else does. And what has been the reaction to this proposal from uh, the control of the currency that would have to uh, implement all this? They um, have had some opposition. Uh, but they have also been open to the conversation. I think their initial opposition was based on the petty loan situation. They didn't, you know, Congress, when they enacted Dodd-Frank, gave the supervision of petty lending to the CFPB, and they wanted to make sure there was no way that no one was trying to get around CFPB's authority when it comes to petty lending. Uh, the, the drafters of the bill tried to make it clear that wasn't their case. I think they've been prevailing upon the OCC to understand that it's more likely it's the preference of the members of Congress that Enova or companies like Enova offer credit cards to people with 640 credit scores than it is some way for them to skirt the CFPB's authority over uh, petty lending. And the CFPB is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which was set up as part of Dodd-Frank. What, yes. what is their attitude towards this kind of national charter for the uh, kind of non-traditional banks? They have been somewhat silent on it. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't affect their authority because they have the same oversight over national banks. Uh, and if we become a national banking institution through OCC, they'd have the same uh, supervisory or, or regulatory role with us as they would any other national bank. So it doesn't affect it's not like we're move, we'd be moving away from CFPB. We just have a different relationship with CFPB as it relates to other banks. So it doesn't. Uh, they have not voiced any strong opposition. I think members have talked to them and tried to work out the the exact way that this would work for for uh, to keep everything consistent. And I think they've su- succeeded in that. And how about the banking industry? Would they feel threatened that you're going after their customers or potential customers? 
So far, we haven't gotten that from the banks. Uh, we think, you know, because of the large number of people who are not being served, I don't think these are bank customers, right? I mean, the people who can't find $2,000 clearly aren't going to the bank for the $2,000, so I don't think this falls into their, that category. So they have not raised any opposition to us. And how about consumer groups, uh, Consumer Federation of America and those who are supposedly uh, trying to defend, uh, you know, the poor end of the spectrum? Uh, are they in favor of this to, to allow these people to get loans they're not able to get from traditional banks? They have been opposed to this legislation, but when you review, when we reviewed their their opposition, it's always boils down back to the payday argument. Uh, there's a, a provision in the bill that says you can't make any loans under 30 days in duration, um, and people they have said that that is not sufficient to ban payday from the bill. And so they've been opposed to it uh, because of that. I think the members of Congress who are working on this have, are really ready to be more specific. I mean, they, they're willing to fix that problem if that's indeed a problem. Um, but the, no one's yet said that people shouldn't get credit cards if a non-bank wants to offer that. And I think so, so they've only been opposed to it because of the, the payday provision, as far as we can tell. So when people take out a loan like this, Stephanie, uh, it's not secured by their paycheck particularly, but is it repaid when people get a paycheck? It's repaid out of that? How does these actually work if they're over 30 days? Most of our loans at Enova are going to be paid to coincide with the paycheck, and what we find is that that really helps the customer budget for that payment. So if they get paid on the 5th of the month and, you know, we're asking them for money on the 4th, it may be difficult, you know, for them to pay us back. Um, some of our products also just have monthly dates, which is a little bit more typical of, you know, a bank loan. So if you borrowed it on the eighth of the month, your, you know, loan is going to come to you every eighth of the month. Um, I mean, I think as far as the federal charter that, you know, Keevan is talking about, it wouldn't necessarily dictate some of those operational issues like, you know, when you set due dates. And so really lenders that participate in a charter would be able to kind of work with the regulator to design a product and a business model that makes sense for the consumer. So how would it change your life? I find that consumers can budget a little bit better if the, you know, if the dates coincide with when they're paid. So if this bill were to become law, Stephanie, how would this change what you're able to offer and where you're able to offer it? For net credit in particular, this would be huge. I mean, we're uh, a new business we just launched in June. We are in seven states right now looking to grow to about 15. We can't grow much beyond that. Now, even for our CashNet USA business, which, again, is the largest licensed lender in the U.S., um, CashNet serves 32 states. And so, as Keevan kind of alluded earlier, if we could offer our products in 50 states, we can dramatically cut down our costs just due to the scale. You know, even kind of on the fixed cost side, I mean, we have a huge team of, you know, lawyers and compliance and, and all those things to try to deal with these state-by-state -state rules. Not only that, on the development side, it's very expensive. So if one state we have to offer a payday loan, another state is a line of credit, another state is an installment loan, we've now got to build all of the technology um, to underwrite those loans as well as to process those loans. And so the, the key, I think, benefit is we can offer products in more states, we can innovate faster, you know, we can come up with something that we say, hey, this is what customers are telling us they want. They want more money and they want to pay it back over time. And as they started to pay it down, they want to be able to draw again like a credit card. Um, you know, we could offer a product like that that the consumers like 
and we can reduce the cost. Reduce the cost to consumer, you mean, as far as the fees or interest rates would be lower? Yeah, absolutely. You know, reduce the cost of the, to the consumer because, I mean, if you could only, you know, just just to make it more extreme, let's say you could serve one state, you know, a state that has two or three million people versus the entire country. If you're serving one state, you need a higher kind of margin per customer to cover all of your fixed costs because you still need the technology. You still need, you know, the people and all those things. If you could serve the entire country, you can reduce some of those costs and you can do kind of a lower margin business with higher volume. And that's really our goal. We want to serve more people and we want to offer more affordable products. What is your expectation of the um, outlook for this, Kevin, as to when this is going to happen? Well, you know, this Congress, uh, we don't think will will be successful. It will be finished. That We'll get it passed. We do think that Congress uh, is looking at it. We're hopeful to have another hearing during the lame duck. Um, we've, you know, continue to get support from members of Congress. We continue to hear uh, members of Congress expressing interest in, in seeing this done. Um, and then moving into next, to the next Congress, we're hopeful that um, Congress will uh, work hard in, in, in this bipartisan era, try to find a way to, to pass legislation uh, to fix this problem. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman with the Money Answer Show. Uh, my guests this hour are Kevin Kevin Kimball, the Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America, and Stephanie Klein, Head of Consumer Lending for Net Credit, which is a division of Anova, which is owned by Cash America. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday at 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guests this hour are Kevin Kimball, a Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America, and Stephanie Klein, Head of Consumer Lending for Net Credit, which is a division of Cash America's Innova division. Welcome back to both of you. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Stephanie, let me ask you, for people who 
are having trouble making ends meet and they go online uh, to get a loan, they're not only going to see what Anova offers, but they're going to see all kinds of other offers from companies based offshore and the Cayman Islands and Costa Rica and all kinds of places. What, what is the difference between what you're offering and what they're offering? And what is, what's the, the downside of dealing with one of these offshore places? Well, there's really a couple of key differences. So um, the first difference is that the offshore lenders are typically actually more expensive. And so what we see a lot of times with the short-term, you know, cash advance type products is whereas we're charging anywhere from 10 to $25, depending on the state, you've got offshore lenders charging $30 and up. Um, and so they're really getting around the state rules, getting around sometimes even maybe federal rules, um, but they're doing it in a way that's more expensive to the consumer. The second key issue really is that, you know, it, if a consumer does have a complaint against a licensed lender, there's an avenue where they can file that complaint and get it addressed, as well as there's obviously, um, you know, audits, and, and there's all sorts of process in place to make sure that consumers are being treated fairly, that they're being offered, um, you know, products that have very clear and transparent terms. You don't get any of that with an offshore lender. So, I mean, these guys can really do whatever they want, and at the end of the day, they're charging the customers more, and there's really nowhere for these customers to go. When they figure out that they've been ripped off, no one can do anything about it. You know, they've lost their money, and and, and there's nothing other than, hey, sorry, you know, oops, don't do it next so, time. So are lots of people doing that? They're, they're dealing with these offshore lenders and getting ripped off? Yeah, I mean, we had estimates. Um, I'm trying to think of the numbers. We had some estimates a while back, and I want to say, I don't know if you remember, I want to say it was like more than 50% of the kind of online market we think has gone offshore. Um, and like and it's getting right. bigger and bigger because, you know, dealing with the changing state regulations, it is expensive. It takes a lot of, you know, lawyers, quite frankly, to be honest. And as I said earlier, it takes a lot of uh, business people to figure out how to adapt the products developers to figure out how to adapt the technology. And so I think in recent years, more and more lenders are just saying, you know what, this is too hard. Let's go offshore. And they're realizing that they can, you know, make a quick buck, charge more money, and there's, there's really nowhere the customers can go. So I would say it, it's getting to the point where the majority of the online market is offshore. Uh, Kevin, if you were to have this law passed, this uh, Consumer Credit Access Innovation Modernization Act, how would that impact these offshore lenders? Well, I think, one, in the states where there are limited options, there'd be more options, so people wouldn't be uh, as, as vulnerable to having to go offshore. Uh, anecdotally, I, there was a story related to me about a woman who lived in New Jersey, again, which has no, no exceptions to the, to, to the usury rate cap, and, you know, this woman needed money, went, on, went online, found a lender uh, from offshore, made four or five different transactions, all in New Jersey, had a bad result, but then again had no recourse, as Stephanie said. And, you know, if this law passes and there are people operating in New Jersey under a federal statute, those problems, you know, decline a lot. And I think that's uh, one of the things we'd like to see happen. Uh, in, and there are other states where we've heard there, at one point there was a vibrant marketplace and, you know, the state made a slight change in the law and all of a sudden, you know, 80% of the marketplace is now offshore because, again, you know, people need to borrow money, and, and at the end of the day, it's up to the lawmakers to, to provide for uh, a, a, a stable place for them to do that and, and a safe place for them to do that, and I think that needs to happen here. 
And another thing I'll add, just from kind of a marketing standpoint and awareness, um, we're just launching our first TV campaign for net credit. We have to go into local markets. You know, we're in seven states, so we're picking metropolitan areas. And not even always the biggest one in a state, because the biggest, you know, if you're talking St. Louis, Missouri, it's going to overlap with, you know, Illinois. And so if you can do a national marketing campaign, we can really get awareness out for these licensed lenders operating under the charter. So it's not just a customer goes online and who do they find. We can really raise awareness for, hey, make sure that you're using a lender under this federal charter. And I think that that's, you know, hugely important. In addition to higher fees, I guess interest rates really is an interest rate, what are some of the other penalties that Americans are paying uh, for overdraft and kind of being in this uh, underserved banking area? Are are they paying a lot of extra penalties that they may not be aware of? Definitely. I mean, the the overdrafts and the NSF fees, you know, when we do look at bank statements, um, for customers where we need to verify their income, we see a ton of NSF fees. And, you know, a lot of them, it's the horror stories that you hear. They hit all on the same day, you know. And so this customer has, you know, maybe even small expenses that they're trying to pay, 10 bucks here, 20 bucks there, 30 bucks here, and they're overdrawn on their account for a day until they get their paycheck. And all of a sudden, they're hit with multiple, uh, you know, 25 to 30 and up dollar fees. And that's really something that consumers can use our products to avoid because they can plan ahead and they can come and use a product like ours. And we see that they do that. You know, it's less expensive and the consumers understand that it's less expensive to use a lender like Innova instead of having all of those NSF fees hit. But again, in states where there's not access, these customers really don't have an option. By NSF, you mean not sufficient funds for people. Exactly, not sufficient fund fees. Yeah. Uh, it's the same, Kevin. You're seeing, uh, in addition to those uh, overdraft fees, they're, they're being charged for other things that they, you know, don't, aren't really aware of and kind of don't feel they have an alternative for. Yeah, you know, th- yes, you find that the customers, you know, uh, or Americans have lots of problems. You know, if you're trying to, if you need to have your car fixed, you know, or if you need to make a purchase of some some kind, you need a, you have kids in school, and you need a computer, and you need to finance that purchase. I mean, the the cost of not being able to do that can be great sometimes. Or, for instance, if you have a problem, you know, this is on the lower end, but if you have a problem with your utility bills, if you're going to have a, like a, a tough winter month and you your your bill's so high and you can't pay it, maybe it's a seventy hundred dollar bill and you can't pay it, if your lights get cut off, you know, not only you have inconvenience of having them cut off, but you have to pay the reconnection fee and maybe a new deposit. I mean, you could end up with a couple hundred dollars worth of additional fees versus going and getting a loan. So, you know, people you know have to be careful when they're borrowing, but at the end of the day, they've got to make a decision that's best for their budget. I mean, it's you know, sixty dollars is a lot cheaper than a hundred or two hundred dollars. Yeah, that's a good point. So, Stephanie, for people, if they wanted to uh, take a loan using the system, what website should they go to, or what's the safe way to to go and find out what the options are that you offer? So, in the U.S., you know, our two brands um, that are both fully licensed would be. CashNet USA, so they can go to www.cashnetusa.com or NetCredit, www.netcredit.com. And, you know, they the brands are a little bit different in terms of the products that they offer, and they operate in different states. And so I would encourage customers to kind of check out both of those products and see if maybe we can offer them a solution that fits their need. So what is the difference? We have about a minute to go. What is the difference between those two? You know, the key difference is that we're realizing that customers really want larger loan amounts. And so CashNet is typically focused on, I would call it under $1,500. 
um, net credit, which we just launched, is going to be more appropriate for those customers looking for two to three thousand dollars, and maybe even up to five in the future. So, looking for higher loan amounts for a larger expense. I see. Very good. Okay. Well, thank you both. Uh, uh, my uh, guests uh, this hour have been Kevin Kimball, uh, Vice President of Federal Affairs at Cash America, and Stephanie Klein, Head of Consumer Lending for Net Credit. Uh, which is a division of Inoda, Inova, which is a division of Cash America. So thank you both for being on the Money Answer Show. Thank you, Jordan. Thanks for having us. And we'll be back with another edition of the Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.